This episode of Lex Out Loud is brought to you by my patrons, readers, and listeners. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, visit LexStarWalker.com support. You're listening to episode 65 of Lex Out Loud, writing science fiction. I'm your host, Lex Starwalker. This show is a chronicle of my journey as a science fiction novelist. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this show. Welcome to Lex Out Loud. I am Lex Starwalker, and I am out loud. (laughs) And it's really great to be back behind the mic again. It's been a minute (laughs) since the last time I recorded an episode. And the main reason for that is I have been extremely busy. But things are tapering off a bit now as I have now finished the fourth and fifth drafts of my novel, Critical Balance. So if I remember right, the last time I talked to you in episode 64, I was still in the process of revising uh, for the fourth draft. So since the last time I talked to you, I finished that one and I went ahead and did a fifth draft and, and finished that one. So I thought today I would celebrate a bit uh, this milestone in my journey and uh, share some some thoughts with you from this vantage point of, of having finished the fifth draft. And also I, I thought I would share uh, some information, some statistics about where I've been with this and and what I put into it and things like that. I thought it might be interesting for for people to hear some of that. But before I get into that discussion, I do have a couple things I want to announce and talk about here at the top of the show. Um, The first one is that I am starting a book club. So Amazon is rolling out a book club uh, feature on their website. I don't believe it has yet been officially launched, uh, but some people are able to um, go ahead and and start book clubs and and you know you you can do it. Uh, they just haven't officially launched it yet. So um, I went ahead and got one set up. It's called Science Fiction with a Lex, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes at LexStarWalker.com slash LOL for this episode in case you want to join me there. So basically, what this is, or or what this will be, is uh, we will all read a book, the same book, usually it's going to be a science fiction book, and then we will discuss it as a group. So just like, you know, a regular in-person book club, only, you know, it's virtual. And my thought with this is, you know, I'm not going to put every book that I read uh, in the book club because I know, you know, people don't necessarily read as much as I do or have as much time to read as I do. So I'm not going to do that. Instead, what I'm going to do is kind of cherry pick books for the book club. You know, one thing as a writer myself that, that I try to do is keep up with the market and keep up with my genre. So, 
you know, I try to read the uh, popular and, and, you know, best-selling science fiction novels that come out, try to read those science fiction novels that, that are up for Locus Awards or Hugo Awards or Nebula Awards, things like that. And so... Um, I thought as I as I read these more recent science fiction novels, as, as I find ones that I particularly like, I will uh, suggest them to the book club that, that we all read them as a group. So, you know, this isn't going to be every book I read. It, it's not even going to be every science fiction or every award-winning science fiction book I read. It's just going to be the ones that I really like. You know, and, and, and a big reason for that is, is I don't really want to spend a bunch of time talking about a book I didn't particularly like. I would rather, you know, talk about something I really enjoyed and, and have a lot of positive things to say about than something I didn't enjoy and maybe don't have positive things to say about. So that's kind of the idea. Right now, the, the book that I have up for the club is Fairy Tale by Stephen King, just because that's the book I happen to be reading right now when, when I got this set up. But yeah, I've started collecting some books that that I think maybe maybe will do, and then you know as I read them and kind of vet them, then then I will decide whether or not we'll we'll actually do that book or not. So the Amazon site is pretty limited, it looks like, and and I don't know if maybe there's going to be more functionality uh, once they roll this out officially that that we're not seeing now. Um, but as of right now, the you know what you can do on the book club on the Amazon site is very very limited. It's not. It doesn't even have the functionality of a forum or a subreddit or something like that. It's just very basic. You can post posts, um, but it doesn't look like you can really make threads or anything like that. So right now, I think there's only like four people that have signed up for this. Of course, I haven't really promoted it much or anything other than mentioning it in the in our Discord server. But we'll we'll kind of see how this goes. We'll we'll see how many people want to do this and and how you know active people are. But if if we get very many people at all, or if people if this takes off and people really enjoy it and and are interacting, what I will probably do is devote a section of our Discord server to the book club because um, then we can have more functionality in having discussions and whatnot. We could even do have video conferences and and do an actual virtual meeting where we talk about a book. I, I think that would be really fun. One thing I do want to do with this is avoid people getting spoiled on things. So, um, you know, my thought was when we start a book, like let's say we're going to start reading fairy tale, is the first give everyone a certain amount of time before we'll have any kind of discussion of the book that could in any way be any kind of a spoiler. Um, so maybe give people, I don't know, I'm thinking like three or four weeks uh, before we really allow any discussion of it so that people aren't spoiled. And then once we do allow discussion, one idea I had that, that we could not do on the Amazon site or maybe might not even be able to do it on Discord. I might have to set up a forum or a subreddit or something for it. But one thought I I had is if we had something like a forum, I could make a forum post or a thread for each chapter. And then that way people could discuss a given chapter within that post. And then that way, you know, someone who's still reading the book and hasn't finished it you know, they could read the discussions of the chapters they've read, but then they could avoid discussions of chapters they haven't read yet. 
So uh, that was one idea I had as far as kind of how to approach it. But yeah, the basic idea is just, you know, we all read a book together and then we discuss it together. And and that's really all it is. Um, just something to do for fun. Uh, so yeah, if you're invo- interested in getting involved with that, uh, just said to the show notes at LexarWalker.com and I'll have a link to uh, where you can sign up for that on Amazon. And then, yeah, depending on where this goes, you know, in the future, it, it may be something that we move over to the Discord server um, just to be able to be able to do it more easily. So, yeah, join join the book club. I, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about briefly at the top of the show is that I have just joined Mastodon. So unless you're living under a rock or something, or, or you've been out hiking away from civilization for a few weeks, uh, you probably know about um, Elon Musk uh, taking over Twitter and the complete shit show dumpster fire that has been. And so, you know, people are leaving Twitter in droves, but, but even more than that are people like me who, I mean, I'm not going to delete my Twitter account anytime soon. I'm, I'm still on Twitter. Um, but I have been looking for alternatives and, and the amount of time I spend on Twitter and the amount of attention I give to Twitter has drastically reduced. I'd say I'm probably spending time and dealing with Twitter probably like 1% of the amount of time that I used to not, not so long ago. And, you know, I detest Facebook. I hate Facebook. So, yeah, I was like, man, what am I going to do? I, I don't really care for LinkedIn. I, I never really had much luck with LinkedIn. But, uh, yeah, started hearing about Mastodon. And so I, I finally had some time to go check it out. And I am I am just loving Mastodon. It reminds me a lot of how Twitter was when I first joined years and years ago. Only even better than Twitter ever was. But just, you know, I haven't seen any douchebaggery or trolling or anything like that. Um, Just, you know, intelligent people being respectful, acting like well-adjusted adults, you know, sharing information. Uh, It's really great. There's a a very strong uh, science community on Mastodon. And there also seem to be a lot of writers on Mastodon. So I just feel like I found my people there. And uh, they just released an update, Mastodon 4.0. And as part of that, you can now edit your posts and you can also um, follow hashtags, uh, which is super awesome. So for instance, I'm, I'm following the hashtag writing community now. And so even though my server I'm on is not a, a writing server, I still see lots of writing stuff because I, I was able to follow that hashtag. So, you know, if you, like me, are unhappy with the Twitter experience lately, uh, I highly recommend you check out Mastodon. It is a little more involved to get set up on there than something like Twitter or Facebook, but it's one of those, you know, you get what you invest kind of things. You get out of it what you invest into it, and and it's more than worth a little bit of extra time it's going to take you to uh, to get set up and figure out how things work. And, you know, there are plenty of blog posts and YouTube videos and whatnot out there to help you figure out Mastodon if, if you want to do that. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So if you're on there or if you're going to give it a try, give me a follow. Currently, I'm at Lex Starwalker at 
fostodon.org, but I'm really hoping to change servers. Right now, there, there are just so many people going over to Mastodon from Twitter that a lot of the servers are overwhelmed right now. And there, there's actually a server I really want to join called Writing Exchange, but they're not accepting new members now, right now because they've just been overwhelmed. So Fostodon was a server I was just able to get into because the, the pickings were pretty slim when, when I joined as far as servers that you could just get into without any hassle or that we're even allowing new people. But it is a uh, server geared towards technology, which I'm into, but it's more geared towards software um, development and things like that, which I know nothing about. And and so, you know, 90% of the stuff I see uh, from Fossidon, I don't even know what they're talking about. I mean, they might as well be speaking Greek. Um, <laughs> so it's not like the best fit for me personally, but it allowed me to get on the platform and you can change servers and it's pretty easy to do. So uh, hopefully I can get on uh, writing exchange in the near future. But uh, if you just search for me on Mastodon, if you just search for Lex Starwalker or search for at Lex Starwalker, um, you, you will find me even if I go to a different server. I've been able to find people without knowing what server they were on. It's pretty, it's pretty easy. The only way you'd probably have any issue at all is if someone else is using the same handle as you. But I, as far as I know, I'm the only like Starwalker out there unless uh, someone's impersonating me. But I don't think, uh, I don't think I'm, I'm important or famous enough for anyone to want to impersonate me. So uh, yeah, if you, if you look for like Starwalker, you should be able to find me, even if I've moved from uh, Fossadon by the time you do so. But uh, yeah, really enjoy Mastodon, really loving it. I'm on Android, so I am using an app called Tusker. So it has a bit more functionality, or no, not Tusker, Tusky. has a bit more functionality than the, the actual, quote, official Mastodon app. So yeah, if you're, if you're on Android, I recommend the Tusky app. There's one for, I forget what the Apple one is. Um, let me look. I feel like I just, I think I just told someone about it in the Discord, so it's probably there. Oh yeah, the iOS app recommended, it looks like, is called MetaText. So yeah, if you're on Android, check out Tusky. If you're on Apple, check out MetaText for the actual app. And the the web interface, you know, if you just use it on your browser, is really nice. Nice, clean UI, easy to use. And really, I, I think the, you know, people going on about how confusing and difficult it is to uh, get set up on Mastodon, I really think are overstating it. You know, if you're a grandparent that, <laughs> that you know, you're someone that that uh, didn't grow up with computers and you, you don't understand how to use computers, and then yeah, you might have some issues. But, you know, if you're tech savvy at all, um, then yeah, it's... It's nothing. It's not a big deal at all. It's it's no worse than signing up for an email account with like, you know, Gmail or something. So, uh, yeah. Check it out if you haven't already. Highly recommend it. And uh, it's a great place. And hopefully it remains that way and doesn't turn into the, the new Twitter. But uh, um, hopefully it won't. Time will tell. All right. So, yeah, today I'm just going to celebrate <laughs> this accomplishment of mine of uh, finishing the fifth draft of, of Critical Balance. So I finished the fourth draft on November 1st, and I finished the fifth draft on November 12th. 
So yeah, the fifth draft was a, was a pretty quick polish. I think it was seven or eight days that that it took me working on it and uh, banged it out pretty quickly. The fourth draft was was a more expen a more expensive a more extensive uh, revision. So yeah, you know this was a really big moment for me. It really was. Um, you know, this is my second novel. It's the first one that I'm going to try to get published. And yeah, it, it was a big moment. And and frankly, it was a huge relief. As you know, if, you, if you're if a longtime listener and you've heard previous episodes, then, then you know that, that I struggled with some things this year that resulted in me having a lot of downtime away from my writing that, that was was not planned. So there is a combination of uh, from the time I finished the first draft to the time I finished all these revisions, I moved, which that <laughs> seemed to lampoon almost a month of my time where I, I didn't get much accomplished with the novel. And then not long after moving, I got COVID and I was sick for over six weeks. And then I had long COVID past that. And then I got on new anxiety medications and I was struggling with headaches and other side effects from those every day. Um, so all that just happened one after another. I moved, got COVID, had long COVID, had some real issues with my anxiety, got on these meds. And it was just one thing after another that resulted in me not really getting much accomplished for a few months. And I really started to worry about it. I really started to fear that I'd lost it, that I'd lost my momentum, I'd lost my rhythm, that after all this downtime, I, I wasn't going to be able to get back in the saddle again. I, I wasn't going to have the discipline to get back into it, or I'd lose too much of the thread. And I was really, I was really afraid. And I'm, I'm sure part of it's just me having anxiety, but... <laughs> But I was really afraid that, that this would be the end of my my writing career before it even hardly begins, and, and that I just wouldn't be able to get back on that horse again. Um, that I wouldn't have the self discipline to to make myself do it. So, yeah, it, it turns out that 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 was not the case, and and I was be able to get back on the horse, and you know I finished four more drafts and. Uh, yeah, got got it pretty cleaned up through through those revisions. So it felt very good when when I was able to get back to work and and get back to editing in earnest again. And it felt really good to bang out these last two drafts as as quickly as I did. Um, I just really hit the ground running and just knocked it out one after another. It was awesome. I, I feel really good about about what I've accomplished, and, and I feel like. It was a moment of truth for me. It was a, a proving point, a point where I could have easily failed. I could have easily given up. I could have easily just, it could have been the end. And I persevered. I got through it. I kept going. And here I am on the other side. I finished the fifth draft and I am really, really happy with where the book is right now. I've just sent it out to the betas. And I'm feeling really good about it. And I'm feeling really good about myself and what I've accomplished. And, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that this was the, 
you know, the worst upset I'll ever face or, or this was the low point of, of my writing career or anything like that. Cause who knows what the future will bring. I'm sure things could, could definitely be worse, but it was a challenging time. And, and like I said, I was at, at a point, I was very afraid that, that it was over and I wasn't going to be able to get back to it. And I did. And, and I feel like I've proven to myself is that I am serious about this and I am committed to this. And even, you know, if life throws wrenches in my way, which it does and it will, it's not going to stop me. I'm going to keep going. So yeah, it, it feels really good to, to see that and to have proved that to myself and to have shown that, yes, you know, I am committed and I am serious about this and, and I am going to keep going no matter what. So like I said, I'm I'm really happy with where the book is right now. You know, it's kind of funny. Maybe this is something I can talk about for a second. I think about this a lot lately, how every draft, I feel like it's really good. You know, like I finished the first draft. I was really proud of it. I was really happy with it. Felt like it was so much stronger than the first draft of my last novel. And then, you know, I did the second draft on my own. I just uh, let it sit for about six weeks after I finished the first draft. And then I did an edit on my own for the second draft and felt that when I'd com- completed the second draft, that, oh, wow, I, you know, it was good. But now it's so much better. Like, I, like I've really strengthened it up. I've really shored it up. And it's so much better now. And I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm happy with it. I'm proud of it. All of that. So then I uh, sent that second draft out to some of the alphas, got feedback from them, and did the third draft. And and again, it was like, <laughs> it was the same thing all over again. It's like, you know, when I, when I sent the second draft to the alphas, I thought it was really good. I was really proud of it. I thought it was really strong. Then I got their feedback and, and you know, they showed me all these ways that I could improve it and make it better. And... So then I did the third draft and I was really excited about the third draft. And I'm like, oh man, this is so good now. Like I've I've really, really dialed it up, sent that out to still more alphas, got their feedback. And then, you know, I turned around and did this fourth draft, which was was a pretty major uh, revision. I'll talk a little bit more about some of the specific things I, I did. But uh, it was the same thing all over again. I was like, by the time I finished the fourth draft, I was just so over the moon with how happy I was with it and, and how much it's improved and, and how much better the fourth draft is than the third draft. And then uh, turned right around and did the fifth draft, which is more of just a polish. But uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It, it just, I find it very amusing how I keep thinking, oh, this is so good. And then I get feedback and, and find these ways to improve it and make it even better. And then I'm even more excited about it. And uh, yeah, you know, I feel pretty confident about it right now, but I felt that way with previous drafts and ended up making changes. So so we'll see what the betas think of it. But yeah, I, I made some pretty big changes and improvements with the fourth draft based on the alpha feedback that I got. So here are just some of the things that I did. I'm not going to go super specific because I don't want to spoil anything. But uh, staying kind of more general, avoiding spoilers. um, I made some changes to one of my main characters, Minji, to make her more interesting 
and to make her more distinct from the main main character, Tia. So these changes also helped make Minji's involvement in the main plot of the story more believable. You know, there's some points where Alpha's pointed out that they questioned why these characters were the ones involved in what was going on as opposed to maybe someone more qualified. And so I, I feel like I've addressed those concerns. I also made changes to Minji's dialogue and to a lesser degree to Tia's dialogue to better different to wow, if I could talk, to better differentiate their two voices, again, to make them more distinct and more unique characters because some of the feedback I got from the alphas is they they seemed very similar, almost like they were two versions of the same character. So, you know, I, I made some, you know, Tia is pretty much who she was, but I fleshed Minji out some more and, and made some kind of fundamental changes to her to make her different from Tia and I'm, I'm really happy with how that all turned out. And then, you know, as part of this change in Minji's character, I decided to tweak her dialogue some. And part of what I did there is, you know, Tia has grown up in space. She's lived in these cylinder uh, habitats her, her entire life. And Minji is from Seoul, what is today South Korea. In my book, it's just Korea. Uh, Korea has has been unified by by then, or reunified. So Minji is from Seoul, and something that I establish in in the world building is that the people who live in space are a little less formal in the way they talk and their customs than people on Earth tend to be. And and then um, Korean culture specifically, people are a bit uh, more formal there than than what we're here used to here in the U.S. So you know, it made a lot of sense that that Minji would be a little more formal in her speech. She'd be a little more reserved. So to further differentiate their their dialogue, I I made Minji uh, more formal, and then I also at the same time, at times made Tia a little less formal to kind of move them away from each other in their dialogue so they seemed um, more distinct. Now, you you know, one of the things, I just recently did an an episode about the flow of information in a novel and how I think that managing that is one of the hardest parts, if not the hardest part of writing a novel, is, is, you know, how do you convey information to the reader? When do you convey it? How much of it do you convey you know, you can screw up by not telling the reader enough and they're confused, or you can screw up by telling the reader too much and they're bored, or you're telling them things at the wrong time. Um, so I did a whole episode on that, on on how difficult that is. It can be really tricky finding that sweet spot of providing enough information at the right time and doing it in the right way. And yeah, I I think it may very well be the hardest part of writing a novel. And as part of that, as part of that difficulty is figuring out or trying to figure out how subtle can I be versus how obvious should I be? You know, what at what point is something so subtle that the reader won't notice it? You know, and it's tricky and it's, um, 
I think this is where a lot of the art of writing comes in because, you know, you can be really obvious about something and really explicit about something and know that the writer or the, the reader will understand what's going on because you spelled it out for them. But it's also the kind of the least, I don't know, the least refined way to do it, the the least artful way to do it, to be so explicit and obvious. So you may want to be more subtle. So it's a little more artistic or, or there's a little more flair to it. But then, you know, you risk the reader not catching on because you're being too subtle. And then there's also the side of maybe you want to try to be subtle enough to where the reader doesn't consciously catch on to what's going on, but subconsciously they do. And I imagine this is something that, for instance, mystery writers think about a lot where, you know, at the end of the story, when there's the reveal of, you know, who the murderer was, for instance... You know, you want that surprising yet inevitable feeling to that, right? You, when you reveal that, you ideally you want the reader to be surprised. They they didn't see it coming. They're surprised by by who the murderer really is, and yet when they find out who the murderer really is, they're instantly agreeing and saying, "Oh yes, that that makes perfect sense. I should have known that was the murderer because of these reasons." Um, so yeah, surprising yet inevitable. So I imagine in in order to pull that off as, as a mystery writer, for instance, you might be trying to give some clues through the books or through the book that it that are so subtle that the reader doesn't consciously make any kind of a connection, but maybe their subconscious does, or at least enough of one. So when the reveal comes later, they're like, oh yes, I should have known. So this is something I found myself thinking about a lot as I was changing uh, Minji's dialogue into a lesser degree. Tia's wondering, how subtle can I be here? How, how big of a change do I need to make? Or will just little changes be enough? So for instance, one thing I did as part of that is a lot of the times where in an earlier draft, I would have Minji say, okay, she would say, all right. Now, I didn't always do that. There were specific times when she said, okay, usually in response to Tia or someone else asking her if something was okay, just because, you know, you will often respond to someone using similar language as what they're using with you, even if that's not the way you would normally say it. So for instance, if you were to ask Minji, how are you feeling right now? She would probably say, oh, I'm feeling all right, right? Like she would use the words all right. But if you ask Minji, hey, are you okay? She might respond, yeah, I'm okay. Because um, there's a term for that. M mirroring? I, I don't think that's it. But but anyway, there's a term for that where, where you will respond to someone using similar language or even similar body language to what they're using. So yeah, you know, even though normally Minji would say, oh, I'm feeling all right, if someone asks her, hey, are you feeling okay? She might respond, yeah, I'm okay. Just responding with the same language that, that they questioned her with. So as, as part of this, like I said, um, a lot of the times or most of the times, Minji will say, all right. 
On the other hand, Tia almost always says okay, because I wanted to make Tia's speech more informal. Now, the opposite is true, too. Sometimes Tia will say all right, just because I feel like that's what she would have said, or that's what sounds more natural um, in the given sentence or situation. But usually, she says okay. So, you know, Tia's saying okay, Minji's saying all right. Will the reader even notice that consciously? I kind of doubt it. I mean, some may. Some people are just, you know, have an eye for detail and, and will notice something like that. But the average reader, I mean, I don't know, but I would guess, if I had to guess, I would guess that the ad- average reader would not consciously notice that, would not at some point in the book think to themselves, oh, Tia always says okay and Minji always says all right. However, that is the kind of thing that even if they don't consciously notice it, I think subconsciously they would. And that's kind of where I was coming from doing that through the book is I I was like, you know, I don't think most people are going to consciously notice this and realize what's happening, but subconsciously they will on some intuitive level get that, you know, Minji usually says, all right. And Tia usually says, okay. And that intuition will give them the impression that Minji is more formal and Tia is less formal. And so that's what I was going for. Cause I, I don't want to beat you over the head with the fact that Minji's more formal and, and make it seem unnatural and, you know, make it seem kind of contrived in that way. Um, I'd rather it be something more subtle that maybe you can't even necessarily point out. Well, th- this is why I think Minji is more formal. I just, you just feel that way. So I don't know, you know, that's the kind of thing you can only really, I think, figure out through a lot of experience or getting feedback from a lot of readers and and seeing what they say and what they notice and what they don't notice. But but it was something I found myself thinking a lot when I was addressing the dialogue is, you know, how subtle can I be and have it be effective versus, you know, do I need to make more drastic changes? I also made some changes to my AI character, which is another one of the major characters in the story, to make him more interesting and give him a bit more of an arc in the story. And, you know, this brings up something I I don't have it in my notes here, but I should uh, mention, I think, is um, something I I struggled with through this entire editing process was my word count. So I know some of you are probably already rolling your eyes because I some of you probably think I, I talk way too much about word count on this show. But... I have been shooting, I was really wanting this book to end up at at around 105,000 words, 115 tops, but I was really hoping to get it 1.5, maybe 1.10. That's just, you know, what I decided I thought would be a good target for this book. I think I could go as high as, you know, maybe like 120,000, 124,000, something like that, and still be okay. But I didn't feel like this story needed to be that long. And, you know, when you're submitting to agents and or editors, uh, acquisitions editors, you know, you you want to submit something that's as lean as possible, right? You don't want it to be bloated. If they start reading this thing, you don't want them to be seeing all this crap in there that doesn't, that shouldn't be there, right? You want to show them that you can cut things out and, and, you know, keep to what's relevant. So having a word count 
that is higher than what the story seems to require is a bad thing and, and makes you look like you don't know what you're doing. Um, and these, you know, these agents and these editors, they see so many manuscripts, um, the ones that have been doing it for any length of a time, that they seem to have a very good professional sense of, I give you the elevator pitch for my story, and they have a pretty good idea of how many words that should be based on how many characters do I have, how many main plots and subplots are there. Like they have a pretty good intuitive, just ballpark idea of, oh, that sounds like a book that should be about so many words. And if your word count is is a good deal above that, then to them, it looks like you just got a bunch of crap in there that shouldn't be in there. And you're not done editing yet. You shouldn't be submitting to them yet. It's not finished. So, you know, obviously, I don't want to give that impression. And my first draft was around 109,000 words. And, and again, I was really wanting to get it to 105. I felt like that would be awesome if I could do that. So I was, I was looking to, you know, cut it back. And, you know, Stephen King in, in On Writing says when, when he's revising, he aims to cut about 10% from the word count. Because, you know, in the writing process, you just naturally, when you're writing a first draft, you just throw stuff in there that shouldn't be in there, or you don't word your sentences in the most concise way and, and things like that. So, you know, it's usually not hard to cut some stuff out that's just unnecessary, or you're repeating yourself, which I, I did a lot of that due to the way I kind of discovery wrote this, especially in the beginning of the book, there is a lot of me repeating myself, explaining how rotation gravity works more times than I should, explaining things about the cylinder more more times than I should, things like that, um, explaining things about the character's history more times than I should. So I definitely had stuff that that could be cut out safely. So through this whole process, I've been looking to reduce the word count and cut stuff out. So first draft was 109,000 words, and these are rounded. So then the second draft, I cut down from 109 to 108,000 words. Well, then, you know, this is when I, I sent it out to beta or alphas. I got some alpha feedback. And the third draft ended up being longer, went from 108,000 words to 117,000 words. Then the fourth draft went up to 118,000 words. And now the fifth draft, I'm down to 116,000 words. So I started, you know, first draft ended up at 109. I was really hoping to cut it back to 105. And instead, I ended up increasing it to 116. So this is in my mind through this whole process, through all these edits, you know, I'm, you know, like, for instance, in the fourth draft, you know, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm up to 117,000 words. I'm pushing 118,000 words. I want to be cutting this back, not adding to it. But, you know, a lot of these ideas I was getting from the alphas of ways to improve the story were things that were just going to increase the word count. Oh, you know, we need to know more about this or we need this character fleshed out more, yada, yada, yada. And all these things, if I'm going to do these things, are going to just naturally result in more words in the story. I have to add more scenes. I have to add more whatever. 
so it's funny because I, I did cut stuff. I cut a lot of stuff out. I cut paragraphs and paragraphs out of the beginning of, of just redundant crap that I kept repeating. But at the same time, I was adding things in. So, you know, when all the dust cleared, you know, between the first and the fifth draft, I, I actually gained uh, about 7,000 words. So the 105,000 word goal that I had was was fairly arbitrary. It was not an ed- as educated a an idea as like what a what an experienced agent would have as far as you know I tell you my story concept and you tell me how long that book should be. Their idea would be much more ed- educated than my 105,000 that I just kind of pulled out of the air. I mean I mean I had some basis for that number but I I don't really know what word count my story requires. You know, I don't know if 105,000 words is is just not nearly enough. I don't know if 116,000 words, which is where I'm at now, is the perfect length, or maybe it's way too long. I, I don't know. All I do know is that at this point, I have done everything I can to cut anything that's extraneous or redundant out and make it as lean as I can, and I'm at 116,000 words. But... There, there were additional changes I wanted to make to the book that, that I ended up not making. And one of the reasons, probably the main reason, was the number of words that they would add to the book. And, and one of these areas where, where I really kind of went round and round and, and had a hard time deciding what to do was in the changes I made to my AI character because I really wanted to give him a full character arc and I had a you know great idea on how to do that. But as I was doing the edit, I realized that if I went that way, it would add a significant length to the book. And I was already in a place of trying to cut it back. So I ended up doing a little bit of it, but I didn't do it all. So at this point, I don't know you know, where I sit at this point, you know, did, did I do enough to, to give him a little bit of an arc to where he's a little more interesting and, and not quite so static? And is it good where it's at? Or did I need to do more and not worry about adding more words? Or was there more stuff I could have cut out somewhere else? I don't know. But, you know, unless I, I get something really illuminating from a beta reader, which could definitely happen. But barring that, I feel like I've done the best that I can on my own. And, you know, at this point, I would really benefit from a professional like an agent telling me what they think. And and maybe together we can we can really drill this thing in to or drill it down to what it what it should really be. You know, and and just as a as another little side note, little tangent here, um, just about how difficult all this is. You know, I was talking with my wife about it the other day. And, you know, right now, I'm, I'm all on my own. I'm doing this all by myself. I mean, I have alpha readers and I have beta readers and I am forever grateful to my alpha and beta readers and they have been so helpful to me and, and their assistance has been invaluable. And, and this book would not be what it is right now without the wonderful feedback I got from my alpha readers. But... You know, it's nothing like I would have the the support I would have if I were actually a published writer, right? I would have editors with the publisher 
helping me out. In addition to my alpha readers and beta readers, and I would probably have more alpha and beta readers than I do now. So yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to get started as a writer because in the beginning you have to do it all yourself. You have to do all the writing. Well, you always have to do all the writing yourself unless you have a ghostwriter or something or you collaborate, but uh, you have to do all the editing. I, I've done five drafts now of this book and, you know, I've gotten alpha feedback and, and I'm going to get beta feedback in the, feed, in the future, but I've done all the editing. You know, I haven't had a professional editor edit it for me. So yeah, it's, it's rough. It's a, it's definitely an uphill battle breaking into, to this business for sure. All right. So back to things I changed with the fourth draft, I did a lot with the first chapter. I just as part of the fourth draft, I think I edited the first chapter at least three or four times. Um, I, I knew there was a lot of exposition in that chapter and, and there was some repetition and it was really slow. Um, in the first and second draft of the book, there is no dialogue until like the third chapter. So the first two chapters, we don't get to see the main character, Tia, interacting with anyone. And the alphas rightfully pointed out that, you know, we don't really have any sense of who she is as a person until the third chapter when we finally get to see her interacting with another character. And I knew I wanted to start the story where I started it because that was a question I asked, I think, every alpha was, what do you think about where the story started? Because I knew this the beginning was really slow. But pretty much all the alphas thought that I started the story at the right place. Like, I, I wouldn't want to start earlier. I wouldn't want to start later. But they did feel that, you know, the beginning was pretty slow. And, you know, we don't learn anything about our main character until like the third chapter. So how I decided to address this is I added, um, I basically kept the opening scenes the same in the first chapter. The, the gist of them was the same. Um, but what I did was I added some characters. I keep wanting to call them NPC, not player characters, but non-major characters. Um, I added some characters to those scenes for Tia to interact with. And that actually ended up accomplishing quite a few things for me in doing that. So it made the scene more engaging and, and more interesting to read because it wasn't all just exposition and, and navel-gazing on, on the part of the main character. But instead, we, we get to see her interact with other characters and, and we get to have some dialogue. Having characters for the main character to interact with right in the beginning shows us her personality right away in a way that we didn't see until chapter three in the previous versions. And it shows us, I, I wrote the scene in such a way that it it gives you a real window into what kind of a person she is and, and shows you some of the, um, some of the, what's the word? Some of the good aspects, I guess. I, I, there's a better way to say it. But some of the good aspects of her personality, some of her strengths, I guess I could say or some of her virtues. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. It, it shows some of her virtues um, in how she interacts with these characters in, in the first chapter. And then finally, 
this conversation that she has with these characters was a much more interesting and immersive way for me to convey a lot of the setting details that I conveyed in the first chapter instead of having it all just be exposition. So the difference in the first chapter between, say, the second draft and the first and the fifth draft are just night and day. Um, it's so funny, some of the comments you get from people. I had my wife just read the first chapter again for me. She read the, uh, actually, she read, she read the second draft. That's the one she read. But I had her just reread the new version of the first chapter. And she loved it. She, she thought it was so much better. But something she said to me that really cracked me up was she says, oh, it reads so much more like an actual story now. <laughs> and, and I couldn't help but think to myself after she said that, well, you know, I don't remember you ever saying before that it didn't seem like an actual story. Um, were you thinking that and you were just too nice to tell me or, or what? But yeah, that cracked me up. It, it's much more like an actual story now. So... So I guess I, I've made, made some steps in the right direction there. I also, so yeah, I did a lot of work on the first chapter. I did quite a few revisions of just that chapter as part of this fourth draft. And uh, yeah, I cut a lot out. I rewrote huge chunks of it. I mean, it's almost a totally different chapter now. I also added to and rewrote the second chapter, again, adding some dialogue because originally there, there wasn't any and interaction between characters that, that wasn't there before. And I, th I think it's really cool and interesting how a lot of the changes I made in these revisions to flesh out and reveal my characters more and make them more varied from one another and more interesting to the reader also at the same time served to make the plot and the character's involvement in the plot more believable. Because oftentimes when an alpha was saying, I'm finding it hard to buy right now that this character is doing this, you know, that this is the character doing this and it's not someone else. Um, oftentimes the reason for that wasn't a thing of, it didn't make sense. It was that I had neglected to share some crucial details about what was going on or about the character and what they could do or about why they were chosen by the people that chose them. And again, we're, we're right back to the flow of information and how hard that is. So yeah, I, I'd say the majority of times that alphas were having issues believing what was going on, it was a thing of me just not sharing enough of the details of what was happening and why. I mean, there were there were a few times that it was just not very believable and I had to kind of change some things around to make it more believable. And and that led to some of the changes to Minji's character that I made. But uh, yeah, most of the time it wasn't that. It was just, oh, I never told them about X, Y, and Z and that's why they're not buying this. If they knew about X, Y, and Z, then it would make total sense. So yeah, that information flow, man, it's it's a bitch. It's hard. It's really hard. And yeah, I cut out a lot of redundant descriptions and explanations of of the setting and how things work, things that were redundant. I, I cut all that out that I could find while at the same time adding more descriptive details in other places where they were needed. 
So that was all the fourth draft. It was it was a lot, a lot of changes and a lot of sweeping changes. For instance, the changes to Minji's character and her dialogue were, you know, it it impacted pretty much every chapter of the book. You know, I had to look at every time Minji was in a scene, I had to make sure that she was being characterized fitting the new the new version of of Minji and that her dialogue was fitting the new version of Minji. So yeah, the the fourth draft was a lot of work. I think maybe I was biting off too much to do in one revision. Maybe I was doing too many things. But it it turned out all right. And and then the fifth draft was just a quick polish. And, and I really felt I needed to do that because I had changed so much in the fourth draft and I was changing so many different things at once. I wanted to go through it again and just make sure there weren't any weird things, you know, any artifacts of all these changes where things didn't make sense or whatever. I did find some pretty hilarious typos that just resulted from me moving sentences around and things like that that I fixed. You know, just some some mistakes, uh, some instances where maybe I missed some of Minji's dialogue that I needed to change or she had some okays in there I needed to take out. And then, you know, making sure that the characters and their voices were now consistent through the book with all the changes. And again, still looking for anything I could cut out in an effort to bring my word count down and to just make it streamlined and avoid redundancies and avoid things that just don't need to be there that aren't part of the story. Just trimming as much of the fat as I could. So at this point... I think I've taken what was already a pretty decent story, I think, and, and have made it much, much stronger. So I thought I would I would share some numbers with you because I love numbers. And yeah, I just love numbers. So I already shared the word counts of the, the different drafts, so I'm, I'm not going to do that again. The other thing I thought it would be interesting to share with you is how long this all took. Because I actually, I... I uh, use a spreadsheet to track time I spend writing and what I'm doing. You know, am I, am I writing the first draft? Am I editing? What am I doing? Uh, just to keep track of, you know, where kind of, what kind of time I'm putting into this. And so I looked at my stats today, just out of curiosity. And I thought I would share this with you. So if you have ever wondered, how long does it take to write a novel? Uh, this will give you an idea. Now, this is just me. You know, every writer is going to be different. Some will probably take way, way more time than I took. Some will probably take way, way less. And also, I'm not done. You know, the fifth draft is not the final draft, most likely. Um, I'll probably do at least one or two more revisions after I get feedback from the betas. Um, and then, you know, once I get an agent and then a publisher, more more revisions will follow, I'm sure. So this isn't done. But just where I'm at now, Here's what's been involved. So the first draft, writing the first draft, total time was 142 hours. So if you just divide that by 24, you know, imagining you could just work nonstop all day, every day, uh, that comes out to uh, almost six days. Or if you look at a, like a 40-hour work week, that would be uh, about three and a half 40-hour work weeks to get 142 hours. So that's how long the first draft took me. As far as how long it took on the calendar, uh, I began it on May 10th of 2021, and I finished it on November 24th, 2021. So it took me about six and a half months. 
to write the first draft. Then the second draft through the fifth draft, so all the editing I've done since then and revising I've done since then, total writing time was 183 hours, which comes out to eight days or about four and a half 40-hour work weeks. I began the second draft in December of 2021, end of December, and I finished it uh, beginning of November 2022. So that was, what, a little over 10 months, I think. And as I said, still not done. But uh, there's, there's one example for you of about how long a novel takes, or at least how long it, this one took me. So yeah, first draft was 142 hours. Uh, second draft was 183 hours. So what is that added together? That would be, what would that be? 325 hours, I think. So yeah, it takes a bit of time. So that's done. At this point, I have sent this off to the beta readers. They have it. Um, hopefully they're, <laughs> they're starting to read it or, or soon will. And I'm just waiting to get their feedback. And like I said, once I get their feedback, I'll, I'll go over that and, and probably do another revision or two. And then at that point, I think I, I may be ready to start submitting to agents. So what am I going to be doing now? So while the betas are working on this, I'm not just going to sit around and chill. I'm uh, going to be productive and, and head on to the next phase and get ready for that agent search. So um, I'm going to research agents I want to submit to and, and what are their submission guidelines. I'm going to work on my query letter. So if you don't know, when you originally or initially approach an agent, uh, you do so via a query letter that's uh, very similar in a lot of ways to a cover letter for a resume where you are introducing yourself as a writer and you are giving a teaser of your book and you're doing this in, I believe it's 300 words or less. It's one page, less than one page. Um, you have to do this. And it's your one chance to grab this agent's interest enough that they want to see the first few chapters of your book or maybe they want to see the whole thing. So... Yeah, it's not just something you just bang out a letter and send it, right? This is something you you work on, just like a cover letter for uh, for a resume. So I'm going to be working on that. So yeah, this is, at the same time, an extremely exciting time for me, and at the same time, utterly terrifying. Uh, th this is something that I have literally been preparing for for over a decade now might be getting close to 15 years at this point that I have been planning for this moment of looking for an agent, that, that I've been finding everything I can find as far as tips and, and how-tos and, you know, how do you approach an agent? How do you write, write a query letter? How do you write a summary for your novel? All these things that you have to do as part of, you know, getting an agent. I've been learning about this for for well over 10 years now. Like I said, I think it's getting close to 15 at this point, probably. And so here I am. I'm finally to the point where I can start putting all this into practice. So that's really exciting. But it's also terrifying because this is really 
where the rubber hits the road, my friends. You know, this is where, you know, I start dealing with the rejections and, and all that fun stuff. And this is where I, I finally start to get a sense of how long and tough of a battle is this going to be? You know, it is not uncommon to spend years looking for an agent. But the opposite happens too. I, I just made a friend, a writer friend on Macedon, and she found an agent in a matter of a few months, I think it was. I mean, very quickly. So, you know, you never know. It, you could find an agent almost right away, or it could take years or, or anywhere in between. And, and you have to be prepared for both, right? You have to be prepared for any of those things to happen. So yeah, you know, it's, I, I think I'm, I'm as prepared for it psychologically as someone can be. I, th- I think I'm very, in a very good place uh, mentally. I think I have a fairly realistic outlook, um, not overly optimistic about my chances, but at the same time, not overly pessimistic. I, I am cautiously optimistic. And, you know, at the end of the day, nobody knows what the odds are. You know, you, you can find some figures where, where someone will say, oh, you know, your chance of getting published with a big publisher is, you know, whatever it is. But even if that number is remotely accurate, which is probably not, but even if it is, that number is most likely derived by looking at getting some estimate of the total number of people out there who've written a novel or who've submitted a novel versus the number of authors that are published in a year or whatever. And and that's how they come up with, this is your chance, you know, a one in a million or whatever it is chance. But I mean, that's really basic. There's a lot more to it than that, right? You're, you're not, your chances aren't that, right? Um, and wow, this this might be, maybe I should can of worms this for another episode. But I, I think about this a lot because there are a lot of mistakes that can be made in looking for an agent, in looking for a publisher. And there are a lot of mistakes that are often made, that are commonly made, that I'm not going to make. You know, things like being rude or abrasive in your query letter or being pretentious or making assumptions, just turning off an agent based on how you address them in your query letter and how you present yourself. You know, I follow this blog, Query Shark, where she's an agent and people will submit their queries to her to critique. And it's amazing the arrogance of some of these writers and and I'm sure undeserved arrogance of some of these writers and the things that they say in their query letters. It's like they have no prayer. They have no chance in hell of getting an agent like that. It doesn't matter how good their book is or isn't. It doesn't matter how good of a writer they are or aren't. They're just such an asshole in their query letter that there's no way any agent would ever want to work with them. Right. So I'm not going to do that. So, how many of, you know, if your statistic of what are your odds of getting published is based on every person who submits a novel to a publisher versus how many get accepted? Well, how many of those people are making that mistake? 
you know, and, and all of those people, someone like me, I've already got a leg up on them because I'm not going to do that. Right. Or, or people who make fools of themselves or, or show themselves to be total assholes on, you know, Twitter and other public places where they're trashing other writers or trashing agents or editors. And, you know, no agent who knows of that or has seen that is going to want to work with someone like that. So how many of those people that are part of that statistic are people like that, that you're not going to be really competing with because they, they're going nowhere fast, you know? How many of those people are someone who's written more than one novel? How many of those people are someone who actually edited their novel? I mean, this this is unbelievable to me, but people actually send their first drafts to agents and acquisitions editors. You know, when you start looking into how can I better my chances <laughs> of getting accepted by an agent or, or a publisher, a piece of advice you often, if not always see is, you know, edit the thing and, and don't just edit yourself, you know, get other eyes on it. And so people don't do this. So if you're doing that, you you know, you're you're miles ahead of someone who isn't. So yeah, you know, I have to wonder, you know, if if let's say my chances just overall are one in a million, how much better are they once you factor in all these other things, you know, all these mistakes that are commonly made that are easily avoided? <laughs> you know, it, it's not hard to avoid making yourself out to be a complete um chauvinistic, egotistical asshole in your query letter. You know, it's not hard to not do that, right? So yeah, you know, who knows what your odds really are? You know, no one knows. It, it They may not be nearly as long as, as you think they are because you don't know how many of the people that are part of that one in a million figure are people that are making these really horrible mistakes that are easily avoided that anyone who's really serious about this would would never make, right? You know, another one of these common mistakes is that, that I see referenced on Query Shark a lot is submitting to an agent who has no interest in what you're doing. Like you're writing science fiction and you're submitting to an agent who doesn't represent science fiction, right? Like people do this. Like people really do this. So... You know, just by not being an asshole, not being an egotistical jerk, just by doing some research and, and learning the business a little bit and how things are done, just by doing those fairly easy things to do, you are setting yourself ahead of a lot of people who don't do those things and make these really stupid, obvious mistakes. So how how far ahead of that the curve that gets you, I, I have no idea, but it... I'll bet it's a significant bump, you know, because just going by what I see on, for instance, Twitter and the things I see, you know, supposed wannabe writers saying on Twitter to just self-destruct their careers before they start. It's amazing to me that these people do these things, but they, they do. So yeah, you can just not do that and greatly increase your odds, I think. So it, it's funny. I was... um you know, this week I've started uh, looking into, you know, agent stuff. And I was very happy with past Lex today as I realized that I already have a bounty of resources on looking for agents, writing query letters, writing summaries that I have collected over the years that 
I don't need to do that. I've already got it. It's ready to go at my fingertips. I've got all kinds of notes in my OneNote writing notebook on these topics. I've got a folder full of relevant bookmarks in my browser on these topics. I've got handwritten notes that I've taken over the years and kept, etc. I mean, seriously, this whole thing is going to be so much easier than it would be otherwise because I've already found most, if not all, I think maybe all, of the information I I need. I already have it. I just need to go over it again, refresh my memory, and then just do the work. One of these resources that are going to be invaluable to me is a document I made in my OneNote notebook where I've been collecting all of the advice that Query Shark gives in her various blog posts about writing query letters. So every time I see a nugget of wisdom from her, I copy-paste it into this document. So instead of spending hours or days going through her blog, which is extensive, I've already done that and I'm already collecting those. So instead of that, I, I have one document that has you know the best of the best of Query Shark's advice on writing query letters. So, you know, here's to past Lex. <laughs> Thank you, past Lex. You were awesome, man. You really set me up for success here. And, and here's to being scholarly and organized and, and being the kind of person who takes notes on things that I think are important that I might need later and that keeps things organized in digital format so that, you know, I, I knew. I'm like, hey, sometime... I'm going to be ready to to start looking for agents and it's going to be an extremely stressful time and I'm going to be scared out of my mind and I'm going to be paralyzed and not know what to do. And when that day comes, it'll be really great that I've already found all these resources, which is not to say I'm not going to look for more. I will, but I've got a great place to start from. I, I've already made a list of agents I want to submit to. I'm, I'm going to add to it. But I already have, you know, like my top five agents based on books that I've really liked and, and writers I've really liked and, and who represented them. So yeah, I, I'm really, I'm really tickled pink with, uh, with uh, how good I've been about this uh, in the past because it really is going to make things so much easier now when I'm in this kind of difficult, challenging time um, to be able to just keep going forward, keep my head up and, and just keep going and don't give up. Don't give up. Um, you know, that is the number one thing that separates the winners and the losers from in any aspect of life is not giving up. A lot of times that's, re- that's really it. You know, you, you talk to really successful people and a lot of times that's the thing that makes them different from everyone else is they didn't give up when everyone else did. They just kept going. Um, So that's what I intend to do for however long it takes. All right. So yeah, that's that's pretty much what I wanted to say today. Now that I am done with all this editing, I should have some more time and some more mental bandwidth and energy to put to this podcast. So uh, yeah, I think uh, hopefully you'll be seeing more episodes coming out more regularly now for uh, the next bit. And uh, I already have... Uh, some things I want to talk about in future episodes and uh, looking forward to that. So apologize if, if this one was a bit rambly and just kind of just kind of uh, gushing about how happy I am to uh, be done with these edits. But uh, I do have some more topic-based uh, content 
planned for you in coming episodes. So, uh, yeah, thank you uh, so much for tuning in today. And, uh, oh, hey, I want to give a huge shout out and thank you to my patrons who have stuck with me. And and thank you and appreciation to all my my patient my patients my patrons from the past. You know we 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 all have bills to pay, so so I do not begrudge anyone who uh, is a patron and and stops doing so. No worries, but but I did want to give uh, some special appreciation to the patrons that are still with me because I know uh, in the past few months I have not put out a lot of episodes. And uh, so I really appreciate those that have stuck with me and, and stayed patrons even when uh, I, I haven't been putting out much content for you. Uh, I really appreciate it. And, and you guys keep this, uh, this podcast going because um, the patrons are paying to keep you know the, the podcast going, the hosting and the website and all that stuff um, does co- cost money. And, and the, the patrons are, are covering that for me. So I, I really appreciate it and lets me... Uh, keep this show going, which I, I really enjoy doing. And uh, I hope you enjoy listening to. So yes, thank you to the patrons. Again, I want to remind you that uh, I've, I've got a book club I'm getting going. Um, you can sign up for that on Amazon. Um, you, you can just search for uh, Science Fiction with Lex, or uh, I'll have a direct link to it in the show notes at lexstarwalker.com slash LOL. Um, again, uh, join me on Mastodon if you're on there. And if you're not, think about uh, checking it out. I, I highly recommend it. I'd much prefer it to any other uh, social media platform out there. And uh, yeah, I uh, really hope to uh, make some more friends on uh, Mastodon. A great place to uh, network with, with other writers. If you'd like to email me, I would love to hear from you. You can email me, lexoutloudpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Lex Starwalker. You can follow me on Mastodon, preferably at Lex Starwalker. Uh, you can call my voicemail, 951-465-5391. I'd love to hear from you. Leave a message and uh, you might hear it on the show. And please join our community on Discord. Love to have more listeners in the Discord. We have a lot of fun in there. And uh, yeah, please join us there. You can find the show notes for this episode at lexstarwalker.com slash LOL slash 065 for episode 65. You can find all the links I mentioned there, all my contact information there. And finally, if you would like to support the show, support what I'm doing, I do have a Patreon. Uh, You can become a patron and you can find the link to that in the show notes. Uh, I also have a uh, Audible referral link. If you'd like to try a trial of Audible, um, you can find that link and more ways that you can help me out on my support page at lexstarwalker.com slash support. So thank you so much to everyone who does support me or help me out in any way. I really appreciate it. Oh, and that reminds me, I don't think I mentioned this on the show. In the past, I have plugged an Amazon referral link that I have or had. And uh, thank you to everyone who has ever used that link. Unfortunately, Amazon shut my referral link down. They think that I was doing something I shouldn't have been doing 
namely that I or a family member or a friend or something or someone was using my referral link, which did not happen. That (laughs) never happened. But I think what did happen is I think that there may be one of you or a few of you maybe who were being very kind and very good to me and were using my link on the regular shopping at Amazon But because I didn't have a lot of people using my link and maybe it was the same person or the same few people using it over and over that they decided to view that as me doing something I shouldn't and use it as an excuse to to shut my link down. It's kind of funny. This happened happened like months ago. But it's kind of funny because my first initial reaction was I was pretty pissed off about it. Because they didn't give me a chance to contest this or provide evidence to the, or any, you know, they didn't give me any opportunity to fight it or, you know, anything. They just shut me down. And I even messaged them about them and about it and was like, hey, I've never done these things that you say I've done. And, and here's what I think maybe is going on. And they never even responded to that. So yeah, my first gut reaction was to be pissed off about it. But my second reaction that came right on the heels of that was actually (laughs) to be relieved because I felt less and less good over the years about promoting Amazon through the referral link because they are such a horrible company with really nothing good to say about them as far as how they treat their employees or how they contribute to the United States that they're supposedly a company in, you know, they're not paying taxes at all ever, their impact on the environment. And yeah, they're just a horrible, horrible company. And and I felt more and more guilty about having a referral link. But uh, as an unpublished author with a very niche podcast, there aren't a lot of ways that I can I can try to monetize what I'm doing. So at the end of the day, I'm actually kind of happy it happened because now I no longer need to promote Amazon and uh, yeah, so if you're someone who has been using that link, it, it no longer does me any good. So, so thank you. Thank you for your service. I appreciate you using the link. And, and please, if you were someone that was using it on the regular, don't feel at all bad about what happened. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this to like make anybody feel bad or blame anybody. Like I'm, like I said, at the end of the day, I'm happy this happened. I never got a ton of money from it anyway. I think, I don't know, maybe every six or eight or nine months or so, I'd get like 20 bucks or something. It it wasn't much at all. And and I do do appreciate everybody who used it. And it's not your fault. The the fault is with Amazon. And it's frankly bullshit, but, but whatever. Now I don't have to promote them anymore. And I don't have to have their links on my website anymore. So it's a win for me. So so yeah, I'm not remotely upset or anything. I'm nothing but grateful to anyone who whoever used uh, my link and and thank you for doing so. But yeah, it's it's a dead link now. It I mean I'm sure it still takes you to Amazon, but but um, it's not doing me any good anymore. So so thank you uh, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And yeah, please don't take this the wrong way. But I just wanted to let people know that uh, there's no point to using those links anymore. So if you are someone that was doing that, I really appreciate it, but but you don't need to worry about it anymore. So yeah, so that's it for me today. 
Again, thank you to everyone that, that supports the show. And just thank you to everyone that listens. I really appreciate it. And uh, it's really great to uh, to share my journey with you. So hopefully uh, it won't be too long until uh, the next episode. And until then, keep writing. <laughs>